Hi and welcome to Make Space for Nature from Nature Scott, the podcast that celebrates Scotland's nature and landscapes. I'm Kirsten Guthrie and in each episode I, along with my co-presenters and guests, will help you connect with and protect our amazing natural world. In this episode, Fiona Leith and I speak to Nick Everett, Nature Scott's Climate Change Adaptation Advisor. Nick explains what climate change adaptation is, he provides examples of innovative nature-based solutions throughout Scotland, as well as practical ways we can all make space for and help support nature to adapt. So hi Nick, Uh, welcome to the Make Space for Nature podcast, how are you today? I'm doing grand, thank you, nice sunny day in Glasgow, good to be with you. Excellent, excellent, yep it's not bad here actually in Perthshire. So we know climate change and biodiversity loss are strongly linked and creating a nature-rich future is a part of the solution. Could you tell us a bit about what climate change adaptation actually is, please? Well, it's different things to different people, that's for sure. Before I get on to defining it, let's just say climate change can sound really complicated, but it just boils down to two things that are equally important. First, we've got to stop emitting greenhouse gases as a planet. Otherwise, global heating will spiral out of control. That's what's often called mitigation. Secondly, the emissions we've already put out into the atmosphere committed the planet to climate change effects that just can't be avoided now. And in a previous podcast, you had Heather Reid, our board member, speaking about some of those effects we can already see in Scotland. We had a recent international report saying 40%, more than 40% of the world population is already classed as highly vulnerable to climate change. So these things are going on now. The most striking example for my work is even if we somehow magically reduced to zero emissions tomorrow, sea level would continue rising well past the end of this century and right through the next. So we have to adapt to these climate change effects. If we don't, not only will human suffering be much, much worse, but also there's a risk that humanity won't get it together enough to do all that emissions cutting. So we have the two sides of climate change, reducing that emissions and adaptation, and they do depend on each other to a large extent. So going back to adaptation itself, one way of looking at it, adaptation involving nature is where ecology gets together in a room with socioeconomics and with policy and government, and they try and thrash things out together. It's a science, it's an art, and it it goes beyond both of those things. So one international definition is is the process of adjusting to climate change. I quite like that. I like the word process because it does imply this is something we need to work our way through. But In Scotland, we use a slightly different definition, which boils down to doing things differently. And that's in our social systems, economic systems, and in nature, doing things differently to reduce harm from climate change and possibly to exploit any opportunities that come about. And that's what I really want to stress to everybody. It's not so much about the climate and exactly what's going to happen. It's about us. It's about people and doing things differently. So uh, you also hear the word transformative around quite a bit. We're not just adapting to a new fixed climate, we're going to get there and we're fine. We have to become more adaptive. So if I can give you an example, I work on coastal change and the way sea level rise is already and will affect our coasts. So if you have a set of sand dunes that are eroding, then that might be threatening the land use or important infrastructure sitting behind them. Normal reaction in many cases is the construction of hard defences like sea walls, which arguably you could say that's doing something different. But does it really limit the harm? Putting up sea walls doesn't really stop erosion in the way people think it does. It just transfers it either to by the lowering of the beach at the foot of the seawall or it moves the erosion along the coast. Actually doing something different is recognising that the dunes are already protecting the land behind from storm surges. 
they do regrow a bit between periods of erosion. And so the, the different thing to do is to plan to move that infrastructure, to move or alter the land use and give some space for that nature to allow the sand dunes to move inland. And you've still got coastal habitats providing this function. So nature's got argues for this in our, our input to the way people plan spaces, development planning and, and in strategies on a regional and national basis. We try to also demonstrate space for nature on coastal sites where we work in partnership with the land managers and on the nature reserves we own. So that's one example of adaptation with one of the most crucial effects of climate change. So happy to run on to another example, if you like. Yes, absolutely. Yes, that'd be great. So Nature Scott are a key partner in an initiative called Cairngorms Connect, which you may have heard of. And it's kind of unique in Scotland for its scale, working across several really, really huge land holdings. And the fact that it has a vision that actually extends for 200 years, which you don't hear about very often. The project integrates all the different types of land management in the Cairngorms. So you've got your deer, forestry, nature conservation, and so on. And has a common theme of reducing pressures, the human pressures on the land, so that nature can then naturally adapt in its own way to climate change. And it doesn't have a sort of static end goal. Instead, it says, we don't expect the species and habitats necessarily to remain the same. But overall, the initiative will give the ecosystems a chance, the best chance to remain healthy and to continue to support people's ways of of life in and around the, the Cairngorms National Park. And land management the aim is to actively adjust that to the new balance that nature finds for itself. And that's really doing something different. This has not been tried before and certainly not on this scale. So that's a great example of becoming more adaptive in one of our key landscapes. So although folk like to talk about, particularly in Nature Scott, the, the twin crises of nature loss and uh, climate change, I like to think instead of a triangle. So you've got biodiversity loss in one corner, greenhouse gas emissions reductions in another, and adaptation in the third. These are three things we need to address at once, and we can't do any one of them without doing the others. That's some really fascinating examples, Nick, and it takes us on quite neatly to what was the main focus of COP26, which was achieving net zero emissions, achieving a balance between the greenhouse gases put into the atmosphere and those taken out. Scotland's target is to reach net zero by 2045, which is five years ahead of the UK as a whole. So how can climate change adaptation projects, which you've mentioned, how can they help Scotland achieve that target? Well, actually, COP26 had four goals. Beyond emissions reduction, the second one was to urgently adapt the whole planet. And goals three and four were simply about putting in place the money and the international collaboration to do those two things. So not many people know that. But anyway, it's a really good question. There's one part of the answer to the challenge of net zero that actually manages at the same time to help us adapt to climate change, and that part is nature. So looking after healthy habitats, restoring habitats that are degraded, helping nature to expand, all this does store away carbon, and it's an essential part of the emissions reduction plans aiming for targets in the Paris Agreement. But also, because our economy and society massively depends on nature, water supply to tourism to marine fisheries, supporting nature in these ways also helps us adapt. So the two are so strongly linked. So let me give you the more indirect example that really involves people. Nature's got, through our Green Infrastructure Fund, which is a European money, a scheme called the ERDF, 
that's been helping to deliver amazing urban green spaces for people, mainly in the central belt. And the, the woodlands and the grasslands and the wetlands created, they do do their bit for sequestering carbon. There's also heaps of evidence that folk having access to quality nature in this way is really, really beneficial for their physical and mental health. And that in turn can mean communities that hold together better, communities that are more resilient, they're better at adapting to the challenges that are coming with climate change. And a country that supports community resilience in ways like this, giving people access to nature, is in a much better place to do all the other net zero actions, because these are not going to be easy. But being an adapted country keeps us in the place that we can take the hard decisions on net zero. There's um, another really crucial part of the answer to your question there. Much of the carbon that we hope and we plan to store in nature, whether that's healthier soils and upland habitats, wetlands and woodlands and so on, a lot of that carbon is potentially vulnerable to climate change in the future. So, for example, through our Peatland Action Programme, we've funded and we've helped with re-wetting of huge areas of Scotland's peatland to try and keep the carbon in that peat locked up. But uh, we have forecasts that droughts, it's hard to believe, I know, but droughts are going to get worse in Scotland. And it's possible that that, that could undo some of that re-wetting work. So part of our doing things differently in Nature Scott is to try to anticipate these climate change effects so that the net zero benefits we get enhancing nature, as well as the benefits for wildlife, can actually be maintained into the future. And that's how adaptation supports net zero. And it's really everybody's responsibility to, to try and um, help adapt uh, to climate change and whether that's individual companies, organisations or, or governments. And we've certainly you know, touched on, a, on the targets that the Scottish government have. So how does the, the Scottish government five-year climate change adaptation programme, how does that shape our work at Nature Scott? Well, like uh, quite a few other public bodies, we've been involved in shaping the adaptation programme from the outset. So there's, there's one thing that's particularly satisfying about it is that uh, the natural environment is, is highlighted uh, as a key element in adaptation. It's shoulder to shoulder with chapters on economy, communities, infrastructure, and uh, the idea of climate justice. So that's really great. So from the first publication of the adaptation programme in 2009, it's encouraged us to, to draw clear lines connecting our work to the main risks that are coming with climate change. And I think that was a real first. More recently, the, the second adaptation programme, first revision, it drew us and other public bodies into looking ahead to the actual outcomes that we need from adaptation, which is another really important thing. Where do we want to be? So for nature, the, the key outcome was a natural environment should become more resilient to climate change. And that's something we really need our help with. So in short, the adaptation programme encourages us to, to do those different things, do adaptation. Um, nature conservation isn't really different from other sectors in that it is easy to fall into the trap of doing things the way we've always done it. So let me give you an example of that. For our protected nature areas on land, uh, designated sites, we still honestly have quite a long way to go to, to revamp that, those networks for a world of changing climate. But for marine protected areas, which have been established more recently, a lot of the work we and partners have done in the last decade or so does actually allow for the inevitable changes in, in climate change and the changes that's going to bring about for marine wildlife. So in many cases in these protected areas, what we're actually protecting isn't the exact species being in exactly the same place, but it's the overall natural functioning of the ecosystem. There's a really enlightened approach to nature and conservation. 
And another strand of that, uh, another example of doing something different for the first time, we've kicked up a new fund for enhancing marine environments. So trying to do what we can within this framework of the adaptation programme and the encouragement it gives us. And Nick, nature can often adapt well to climate change if left alone. So why do we need to help support nature to adapt in the way that Nature School is doing? Well, the answer is in the question you've asked, really. The best help we can give is very often to leave nature alone. So uh, a woodland can then change its species mix as the climate gets warmer. Ocean species can move northwards or river channels can self-adjust to floods. So they're coping with it rather than the floods being dumped on, on towns. So. But helping this to happen actually takes conscious choices because there's no part of Scotland's nature that hasn't been affected by, by humanity. And it can often mean taking some action to restore degradation from the past. So some of that degradation is where we've tried to, as a society, we've tried to promote single species over large areas, especially in farming and in forestry. Whereas nature actually, we, we know this really well, it thrives best when it can be diverse, when it's messy and a bit crazy. Yeah. So we're really active at the moment in raising awareness about Scotland's soils, that they are in a way the most important factor both in storing carbon in nature, as I've talked about, and also in helping nature to adapt. Soils and the, the rocks and landforms, of course, they literally, they underpin so much of what keeps our country going. But um, this dirt under our feet and the carbon that's in it, it is vulnerable to climate change, effects like drought and extreme runoff. So we're in Nature's got busy promoting more nature-rich land uses right from the scale of single fields up to you know, strategic planning for land use for the whole of Scotland. And from, right from the ground up, these land uses need to be more resilient to climate change. And that in turn will help the, the rural economy to be better adapted. So by giving nature a helping hand, we can get through to what I call deeper adaptation. It doesn't just help nature deal with climate change. But by supporting soils and other parts of the natural systems, it'll help us as well. Absolutely. And there's there's so many things that people can do. But, it, you know, some people do feel helpless or, or overwhelmed by, by climate change, you know, and many people um, report suffering from climate anxiety. But we, we try and break that down with our Make Space for Nature campaign and provides, you know, you know, ways people can actually take individual or community action through kind of, I suppose, many nature based solutions, such as, you know, we touched on there, leaving nature alone, leaving untouched areas in your garden you know, they all help nature, but they also help our own physical and mental health. What do you think are the most effective things our listeners can do to help fight nature loss and, and climate change? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. I can feel overwhelmed too. Working in climate change can be quite full on. And just this morning, I was uh, belatedly making myself reread through one of the more recent international reports on the effects of climate change. And it's quite grim reading. I mean, it, in our work of enhancing more diverse nature there is a lot to feel more positive about we, nature really does pre present a win-win-win for reducing emissions addressing the biodiversity crisis and adapting to climate change and you know adaptation is gradually beginning to be more mainstream folk are appreciating it more which is great news but um as for what individuals can do i'd say one of the really best things that's mentioned in our nature space making space for nature campaign is Getting together with other folk on environmental work, especially through volunteering, you can achieve a lot more. You can share tasks you know, according to everyone's different abilities. 
you can learn together at the same time. And uh, I think you can feel even more positive than doing something on your own. And that really is half the battle. It's staying positive. And if you are out volunteering, doing environmental work, in particular, if you can choose work that helps wildlife move through the landscape, in particular to help counteract some of the barriers that uh, we've created in our towns and cities. But I should say I'm not very good at doing this myself. I've not done as much uh, volunteering as I would have liked since I started a family. The other thing I'd stress is that it's really valuable for everyone to support and influence whoever they think is going to carry out or fund the work that makes space for nature. So that might be just through using your rights as a citizen, or it might be through supporting a charity, a non-governmental organisation. So whether it's government or the local council initiative, or it's an environmental organisation, they're pretty well placed to deliver things much more efficiently than individuals can. So you really can make a difference by doing that. That's great. And we can all take these individual actions, but life sometimes also has has an effect on on our time. Uh, what are your favourite ways when you do have time to make space for nature in your life, Nick? Uh, well, I'm lucky enough to have a wee garden at home and I love just letting things plant themselves and grow where they want. Uh, lazy gardening. This includes a fairly large birch tree, which we first met when it planted itself as a seedling 15 years ago. And I've, I've watched it becoming a home to you know, ants and bugs and sparrows and magpies and so on. And that, that really does it for me. Thinking a bit wider, going up mountains is really important to who I am, especially being on rock. And that's out being out and about in nature. And when I'm in steep places, you know, I can't help the fact that I do appreciate nature much more intensely. I can't explain why, but there it is. It's not just about the exercise. Um, if you said, well, you can still do the nature, Nick, but you need to do it in the gym and at the climbing wall, I think I'd actually prefer to stay on the sofa. That's how differently it feels for me. And that's my main connection with nature. Great. So thanks so much, Nick. That, that is absolutely fascinating. Thank you so, so much for explaining what climate adaptation is. Um, and I also encourage every, all our listeners to, to get out there and try a bit of volunteering. Uh, there's certainly lots of opportunities now opening up as we you know emerge from, from the pandemic. And we do actually have a, a page on our website that lists all the volunteering opportunities. So, so please uh, go and have a look and also ch- uh, check out the Make Space for Nature top tips as to, to ways to make space for nature in your life. So thank you so much for joining us, Nick. And we will hopefully get out there and do some volunteering ourselves as well. Been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying Make Space for Nature, please follow it on your podcast app and leave a reviewer rating. We'd also love you to tell more people about the series. For more ways to connect with and help protect Scotland's natural world, go to nature.scot.